August of 2014, following the fatal shooting death of Michael Brown by a white police officer in Ferguson, Missouri, D. Ray McKesson took to the streets in protest of police violence. He joined up with what went on to become the Black Lives Matter movement. McKesson, with his signature blue vest, became one of the most recognizable faces of the growing action and is now a formidable civil rights activist, community organizer, and he's the host of Crooked Media's podcast, Pod Save the People. He's also an author, and his first book, On the Other Side of Freedom, is a timely exploration of social justice, race, and politics delivered by someone with an insider's point of view. D. Ray McKesson, thank you for joining me on the line. Welcome to The Morning Amp. It is so good to be here. I uh, was uh, so very excited that you were going to be able to make time because uh, we're in Chicago right now and we are uh, in the middle of the jury selection for the trial of Jason Van Dyke, uh, the police officer who shot and killed Laquan McDonald the same year that Mike Brown suffered that same fate. So your exploration of, of all these topics is unfortunately as relevant as ever. But I want to talk to you about the title of this book, On the Other Side of Freedom. What does an ideal freedom even look like and how do we get on the right side of it? Yeah, and the reason I, I, that I titled the book as such is that, uh, you know, we know so much about this side of freedom. We know that a third of all the people killed by a stranger in this country is killed by a police officer. We know that we arrest more people for weed than all violent crimes come out. We know this side really well, and the outcomes are not good. So the question is, like, both what does the other side look like and how do we get there? I'll start with the how do we get there. I think that, you know, freedom is not only the absence of oppression, but the presence of justice and joy. So we got to get rid of all the bad stuff, and then we got to imagine and build what the good stuff could be. You know, how, that question that keeps me up at night is how did mass incarceration become mass, right? Like, what, how did it actually happen? I'll ask you, name something you can buy for $300. Oh, me? I don't have $300. <laughs> name something you can buy for $300. Uh, let's say a uh, like a, 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 an inexpensive washing machine. Well, oh, okay, washing machine. Is that in Florida, to this day, theft over $300 is a felony. So if you steal something over $300, you become a felon, and you permanently lose the right to vote in Florida when you become a felon. And, like, that's wild, that right? Wild. Like, when people hear felons, they think of, like, axe murderers, blew up 10 buildings. It's like, nope, that kid stole a bike, stole anything produced by Apple, stole a purse, right? Like... At 18, you lose the right to a forever. And that is just, like, a perfect example of how the system is designed to disenfranchised people. So it's been a lot of time trying to peel that stuff back. And I think that when we peel those layers back, we actually disrupt the way the system works. But the question of like, how do we get there? And like, what does it look like? You know, we've never seen it before. Part of this is imagination work. Like you, you've never seen a, a world where every kid can read, right? You've not been in a city where there's no violence. You've not been in a city uh, where, where, like every person has shelter. You know, like we, we haven't seen that before. So part of this is being free enough to imagine it. Mm. Uh, being free enough to imagine freedom is 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 a nice tie into how you start the book when you talk about uh, the concept of hope. Uh, we're we're like I said in Chicago right now. We've been hearing black men talk about hope for longer than most. Uh, why is that concept and holding on to hope so important to you and not just yours but activism in general? Yeah, I think about hope as a belief that our tomorrows can be better than our today's. And, and to me, that's like the fuel for why we do the work, you know, like you're being in the street is one of those things that's not necessarily glamorous at all. Uh, but you do it because you know that the world we live in today is not the best world that we can live in. So we're fighting for a better world. When King says the arc of the moral universe bends toward justice, that's about faith. Uh, what we say is that the arc bends because people bend it. And that's about hope. Now, 
the, the, the work that you have been doing is, is writing this book, The Next Logical Step in Your Activism, getting uh, your thoughts out into uh, the hands of, of book buyers. Is, this, is being an author a part of activism? You know, I think that the best activism is organized storytelling. Mm. And uh, this is a part of that, right? Like wanting to I've used Twitter well uh, to tell stories, uh, but there's a limit to how full the story can get in 240 characters now. Yeah. So I wanted to think about like, how do we tell more full stories? How can I talk about my mother and what it was like that she left in case left when I was three, came back when I was 30, and what that means to me when I think about memory and the power of memory in this work, uh, about the police, about the protests, like everything, 240 characters is not always enough to, to tell a big story. It's true. I, I host a, a storytelling event here in Chicago, and it, it always uh, moves me in, to uh, action in a way that uh, lots of other kinds of activism does not. Uh, you, uh, of course, are a, a forward mover all the time, uh, even going so far as to running for mayor of Baltimore. You may have heard that the, the job of mayor in, of Chicago is now up for grabs. Uh, I did hear. <laughs> uh, is, is government service, I mean, not necessarily, you, you're not going to run in Chicago, uh, I don't know, but uh, is government service out of the question for you? Was one run enough or is that still uh, kind of a longer term goal for you? You know, I just uh, most recently was a chief of human capital in the school system in Baltimore, the youngest chief in the history of the district. Uh, so I believe in, in working on the inside. I think that that has to be a part of the work, that we have to be as organized as on the inside as we're on the outside. Uh, we can't just fight the people on the inside. we got to be those people sometimes. I'm hopeful about what what is possible in Chicago. This would be, I mean, you live there, obviously, and you know that this has now created like a wide open, nobody knows what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. So I think that, that that could be really promising for, for the work of equity and justice in a host of ways. Uh, but I do think that, you know, when I ran for mayor in 2016, before Trump won, people were like, DeRay, you're a sellout for wanting to be a part of the system. I can't believe that. Now it's like everybody's running for everything, right? Like people realize that like, when you leave it up to just random people to be in office, you're actually leaving your fate up to people who aren't accountable to you and who don't really care what you believe. There were so many people who said, I remember being in conversations with people who were like, president doesn't matter. Why would you waste your vote? Everything needs to be local. And now people realize like the president is a big deal, you know? Yeah. And uh, that local elections are also a very big deal. We've just, in these uh, in this primary process, we've seen folks who look like you, who look like me, uh, take down 10-term incumbents, take down people who have been, uh, you know, flaunting the lack of term limits uh, left and, and right. We've seen uh, queer folks uh, doing great things in, in the, not just in the city and, and local elections, but across the nation. Uh, tell me about why it's important for people folks like you and me, for black queer folks, for Latina queer folks to uh, represent out there and to to show their faces and make their their, uh, intentions known in that public sphere. You know, what's beautiful, too, is that you think about Gillum in Florida, Stacey Abrams in Georgia, Ocasio-Cortez in the Bronx, and Ayanna Presley in Boston, is that those are people that the polls said they couldn't do it, that they didn't have the infrastructure, that they didn't have the money, right? But what they had was the story and the people. And those four are just such great reminders that, like, you need to be able to tell a story about what the future can be and how you'll get people there, and you need to connect with people. And that is what power is. What money does is help people do that easier, but, like, you don't need money to necessarily do that really well. And, like, that's my takeaway from them. And, like, when you talk about the representation, we have, we know our stories and our communities really well. Like, 
we have to be the people sitting in the room. I think about being the chief human capital. I was responsible for all hiring of all staff at the district. And like what that meant was that like you didn't have to convince me about the importance of black teachers. I already got it. You didn't have to convince me about equity. I already I knew it, right? So people would be fighting me about some things at the district level, but it wasn't about equity and justice. And we got to make sure that we're those people, not just the people fighting those people. You're listening to Vocalo. I'm Jill Hopkins. Joining me on the phone, Duray McKesson. His book, On the Other Side of Freedom, is available everywhere right now. Now, one of the, the most interesting aspects of the book to me is that in it you talk about being gay and the concept of quiet versus closet. And it's, uh, it's, it's a concept that I'd never heard put into words before. Uh, can you explain quiet versus closet and what it means to you and why you wanted to talk about it now? Yeah, and I don't, I try not to phrase it as like a versus, but it is this notion of like, uh, it was this tweet that I tweeted a long time ago that I, that I was coming out of the quiet just because you didn't know doesn't mean it wasn't real. And I wasn't in the closet. I wasn't hiding. I, I didn't want people not to know. It just wasn't like, it wasn't like I walked into rooms being like, hello, my name's Duran, I'm gay. Like that just wasn't how I showed up in spaces. Uh, but I wanted to talk about like what the quiet does. And there's a whole essay called Out of the Quiet, uh, helping to tease out how I think about my own identity, what it means to be public, uh, public about who I love and how I love. And then what identity meant, how identity enters into the work. You know, people mistakenly believe that intersectionality is about uh, intersecting uh, identities, but really intersectionality is about intersecting systems of oppression. And how do we talk about that in ways that actually move people to to think about the work differently? And that's what that essay is meant to do. And it is the first time I've ever written about being gay and like what that, uh, how how I think about that. I appreciate you uh, speaking of intersectionality in that way, because you know, we can all be lots of things. We can be for Black Lives Matter and also be for queer liberation. And those two things intersect easily for, for a lot of, of people. And I, I, I think, thank you for sharing that, that, that part of your story. Um, you've called this book a call to action. What action do you hope it inspires in someone who picks it up? Yeah, I hope that people start to think about things deeper. I hope that people uh, have a have like a keener sense of some of the issues that they get language that they didn't have before. The end of the book is a letter to an activist. And that's where I try to put all the things I wish somebody had told me in 2014, right? Like, uh, so I hope that people use it as a tool. I hope that people learn. There's a chapter on the police that I think is one of the most important chapters in the book. Uh, people, I try to peel back some things about policing that people I don't think know. And I hope that people learn and, and become active. D-Ray, we, uh, we appreciate you joining us this morning. We appreciate the work that you've been doing, and we hope that uh, you keep using uh, this voice for all the good that you uh, have been. Thank you so much. Cool. Thank you. Thank you. On the Other Side of Freedom is available now wherever books are sold and at dray.com. And in case you aren't one of the man's one million Twitter followers, you can find him at dray.